Uh, it's Martin Keenan again, and another talk from the ICPIC conference. And this year, uh, well, in fact, every conference, my favourite talk is always the year in infection control. And we had a nice double act today with um, Professors Andreas Boss and Hugo Sachs, who complemented each other perfectly. And I've managed to drag Andreas away from it probably only 10 minutes ago, which is good, because there's a fair chance he'll actually remember what he said, which is always useful. Not without my computer, but I'll try my best. <laughs> but uh, as usual, you're your usual entertaining self. And I'll kick off with, you, you moaned a bit about old news. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, that, that, that was one of the points when, when looking for, for new publications, which are hardly there because everything is about COVID, yeah. COVID and infection control, but there's hardly anything just hardcore infection control. So when I found two papers, one was about the CDC guidelines on endoscope cleaning, and the other one was uh, on, on, again, an outbreak in an intensive care unit with uh, pseudomonas originating from the thing. And, and at some point, I'm just getting frustrated. I mean, <laughs> I, have, I have had these, these papers on, on problems with endoscope cleaning and disinfection and on water as a source of uh, MDRO outbreaks. I had in every of the last five years, I gave, gave a talk on the year in infection control. And I was really wondering, at what point do we actually learn from our mistakes and actually implement some solutions? And the fun part is there are solutions. Yeah. And they're also described. They've also been published yeah. on go and get water free in your intensive care unit yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, so my, my plea to the audience was, let's all make sure that there, next year I don't have a chance to get a paper for this uh, topic. We both know that's not going to happen. If we come back in 10 years, there's still going to be endoscope reprocessing yeah, problems. No, that, that is, that just, is the depressing part. I yeah. mean, uh, that is was outbreaks in general. Yeah. I, 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 when I first came from Germany to the Netherlands and, then, and I, I had fellows really for the first time, had fellows uh, which I could give something to write up or something. For the first 10 years, I had no problem to have every single year an outbreak in the NICU due to the use of water or of the wrong feeding. I think it was great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but nowadays getting older and wiser, I, I find <laughs> when at some point yeah. we actually should learn. Yeah, we get grumpier as well as we get older. So that, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't help as well. So you, you, you actually kicked off talking about some good aspects of COVID. And, you know, we talk about fresh air and that sort of stuff. But you're, you're actually talked about other positive benefits of, of yeah, fresh we, air. We talk well. about pollution, of course, yeah. and I started out certainly for the UK listeners with forty thousand deaths <laughs> in the UK only attributed to uh, to to the pollution. Yeah, and we obviously discount this amount of people and deaths when we talk about the death toll of COVID. Yeah, but it got a fifty percent reduction just by the lockdown. So there's a good effect of lockdown, and next to other the side effects on STD on uh, on on also on. Uh, um, otitis media on, on strep A roads and everything else. The most important ones obviously would be to, to influenza, norovirus, enterovirus. They all were far less. Yeah. And, and that is a great effect. We yeah. finally took the distance we were supposed to take. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder, because we've now almost discounted, not discounted, but played down the effect of, uh, or picking up coronavirus from surfaces, but things like norovirus, you do pick up from surfaces, and we've actually been sloshing disinfectants around quite a lot more. So I wonder if that has, apart from the social contact aspect, has actually the increased use of disinfectants affected some of the other communicable diseases that are more linked with the environment 
And uh-huh. maybe that will switch back. I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely sure it was in my own setting. Clostridium yeah. difficile was n- not there at all. Yeah, I haven't seen a single case. <laughs> and only when we stopped doing the extra cleaning and everything else, we saw cases again. Yeah, yeah. So when I say social distancing, I, in the end, I mean the whole package from yeah, yeah. keeping your distance, uh, good hand hygiene, good environmental cleaning. So it's a whole package, and I, I do not believe that we ever will be able to separate which of this, I would nearly call it a bundle, yeah. uh, which <laughs> part of the bundle was the most infective, and it will change per pathogen. Yeah, sure. I mean, interestingly, you, you said that many communicable diseases have gone down, but not the Netherlands, where sexually transmitted diseases have gone up there. So any ideas about that? Yeah, I, I actually explained so during my lecture. I mean, mm. there's only that much Netflix you can have. Yeah. After that, you need to do something else. So, <laughs> no, it also has to do with the face of the outbreak. Do you have a strict lockdown or not? And, and in the student houses and everywhere else, people were looking for some kind of inter- social interaction and certainly found it. So now, I was uh, actually <laughs> wondering whether it was related to another paper you talked about, which was the digital device uses rocketing, because there's, if there's sleep disturbances, also people have got to find something else <laughs> to do because they're not asleep. Yeah, that, that was a fun paper on, on actually what it, what it does to, 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 your, to your vision and to your ocular disturbances. Uh, yeah. If you increase your device use from an average of four hours to nine hours, yeah. and this was not only students, yeah. there, was a, there was a whole column, which, which I didn't allude to, but on medical professionals, which even worked highest really? of them all. From all the groups they looked at, medical professionals had the highest, so they went above the nine hours. And it really is, we're having too much of them. And many of those things from sleep deprivation to uh, headaches to, to not seeing clearly, mm-hmm. all of those things, I, I, I have to admit to you, I'm guilty. And I'm, I'm afraid that I easily reached the nine hours in front yeah. of a screen by day do all the Zoom meetings and everything else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know if I'm going, doing an online conference, I tried ECMID and I made the mistake of just sitting and there for the whole day and doing it. And actually what I should have done is watch the recordings piecemeal. And so that, I think that's probably what will happen with with ICPIT. You can dip in and out and think, well, I've got an hour free, I'm going to watch that, watch that particular lecture. I think it was a smart idea to, to keep it up there until the end of the year. And, yeah. and, and really, I said so, if you... I, during my talk, I alluded to said, guys, if you're watching now, you're probably watching for too long. Stop after this talk. So <laughs> I'm sorry for those speakers on now, yeah. but uh, having no audience <laughs> they, online. They can watch them tomorrow. But the good thing is they can look at tomorrow. So, so yeah. do that. Do not, uh, if, if, if there's too much screen time, so we really should do something about it. It's worked very well, hasn't it? I suppose the thing you could do if you're not watching the screen is go and walk the dog. And you talked about the dog also. Yeah. You, you, you use it as an excuse to put up a picture of your oh. dog. Cute dog, huh? Uh, so no, next to having this cute dog, I, I also getting questions on animal therapy, assisted therapy all the time. And yeah. main, it's mainly dog assisted therapy. And then get them every two years. I mean, you put out a guideline yeah. and it seems people don't want to look at it and they still come with questions. And I never had a good paper. So I was really glad to find one on dog assisted uh, treatment. Even so, then when I read that they that patients were feeding animals with a hand, that the animals were on the bed or in the bed, this is not what my guideline would allow to. But the good tip I saw was a feeder, by using a feeder. So give the child a feeder, which which a child can use to to actually feed the dog, and then yeah. make sure that uh, hands are well disinfected afterwards and the surroundings. But it's safe to do, and that was the best message. 
And I really believe uh, that dark assisted therapy for our severely sick children in the hospital mm -hmm. is something that's very helpful. And infection control should not kind to try to block it. No, I mean, I agree with them. And actually for the elderly people as well, who, you know, yeah. Alzheimer's, people like that, they, they, they do extremely well with dog assisted therapy. And sometimes I think we go too far being too rigid. And actually we did a podcast a few weeks ago with Julie Storr talking about compassion, really related to the banning of visiting to care homes. But, you know, I think we could put a lot more compassion and, and empathy, I think, into infection yeah. prevention sometimes. We, we should. And I should say that I just remembered while we were talking about that my first talk ever given in the UK was an MRSA, of course. Of course. And I remember that I had this nice case of the, the ward cat that was spreading MRSA because that UK cat went from bed to bed to bed to bed to bed and spread MRSA. So, uh, yes, we do have a little bit careful, but certainly in the extreme cases, we do have to make sure that uh, animal-assisted treatment is possible therapy. Yeah. I suspect a dog is a little bit more controllable than a cat, though. A cat, uh, I, a cat I, is like an all-speedic surgeon. I, just I does assume whatever. so. I bend all cats. So whatever it was. I wouldn't be able to, to tell. <laughs> Um, I want to pick up on another couple of uh, aspects as well. Yeah. Now, you talked about the masks and the tie-up masks. Yeah. Okay. Now, I, mean, I worked in theatre years ago, and I like to be able to tie my mask because I, I can get it to fit well. And as you said, suddenly we've all got these bits of elastic band around the back of our, uh, our head. You know, could you comment on that paper? Because yeah, I so thought that was nice. Yeah, that was, an, I, I, it was a small paper in Journal of Hospital Infection, but a, a very helpful one I saw. Uh, with masks, the funny part is that, that in order to increase the production rate of masks, they went from ties to, to these ear loops. Uh, that's what it which was. Which okay. is pretty. You can produce four times as many masks in an hour uh, if you just glue on these, these uh, little rubber bands instead yep. of uh, getting those, those uh, strips into it or those, what do you call those? Those uh, bands, yeah, those tie yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. The, the, the fun part about that paper was that they, that they showed that uh, you have a, they looked into different technologies of doing that. There was a conventional one you always do, but it still had a lot of uh, inward leakage. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they had the, the three-knot principle where you first do the two ones as a conventional one, and then you do the upper and the lower and you knot it together. Yeah. That already increased fit, but the best fit they achieved was a little bit of elastic in between the lower knots. Okay. So you knot it to this little to the right and left side of that elastic band in in your neck, and then you close the upper one. Yeah. So it's a little tiny device which which immediately uh, changed the fit of the mask, mm -hmm. and also it has all to do with wearability because what we don't think about it, I get really obnoxious after about one hour of wearing a mask with ear loops. I hate it. My ears start to I know. Itch. They're designed for people with like, heads a lot smaller than ours, though, so I'm almost slicing my ears off. Yeah, I, I, could, I could lose weight. Maybe they would fit again. But, uh, <laughs> Not for me. Uh, uh, in the meantime, but in the meantime, the surgeons who have those things now all day long, yeah. it's really ridiculous. So yeah. they, they were came begging to me to find some classical surgical mask again. They could uh -huh. tie around yeah. because it fit better and the comfort is far higher. And yeah. we frequently forget about the comfort. When I was wearing them all the time back in the hospital in London, I, I, I was desperate for a traditional surgical mask because I knew how to tie one of those and it, I could get it to fit perfectly. And the other problem with the ear loops is if you've got a, quite a small head, and many you know, of our younger female colleagues have, they, they're there trying to do all sorts of loops and they just don't fit either. So, yeah, that, that no, no, that's true. We, 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 we developed a special device, like a calm device, which you can use yeah. to put it over your head. Yeah. 
which makes it far more comfortable to wear. So it's not behind your ears anymore. Yeah. And I saw tons of these kind of devices that were developed yeah, by, by, by I many people. Yeah, I got my son to do me one on a 3D printer and yeah. it worked perfectly. Uh, that, that's the, that's really the nice thing about 3D printing. I know, fantastic. Uh, good excuse to buy one as well. Um, you also I mentioned the adverse effects of the N95 as well and the, yeah. you know, the, the effect of wearing one of those for now. Could you just mention that? Yeah, it was a paper that actually looked into PUBR and, and the effect on getting better oxygenation while uh, wearing uh, an mm -hmm. N95. And the main reason, and that's kind of unfair, uh, <laughs> I took that paper was because I thought which group would will be looking better at the document the side effects of wearing an N95 better than the one that's trying to show the added value of a pop art. Hmm. So, uh, and, and they did. They showed that 29% uh, have migraine, 80% had headaches. And so there is a, a lot, if you wear your N95 for too long, or F, FFP2 as we would call them, yeah. for too long, there are side effects you will get. Hmm. And by having uh, one of these pop arts, you could reduce that within yeah. five minutes to have the right oxygenation again. So. Uh, whether you use that to combine the use of those two methods, and we wouldn't do that because we don't have enough of them, whether you have a look at for how long do you wear your N95, mm -hmm. I mean, that's probably the main message of the paper, and there really are some side effects to it. So use it when in indicated and not when you just feel like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going on to something else now, I mean, we're talking in a form of social media. Um, and you talked about a paper on social media and the use of social media. And, it, and certainly, I think they brought out some of the best and some of the worst in people, social media during the pandemic. But the, the paper you found was talking about the positive uses of, of uh, public Yeah, that health. was just an, uh, an, an, an average paper, an overview of, uh, of, of, uh, of social media, how that can be helpful, mm. mentioning good hashtags, mentioning good sites, if you go through the whole paper, uh, which you should follow and, and where, what you should look at. And they, they gave a lot of examples. And, mm. and actually, the main reason to pick that paper was that they had a picture of, of a nice tweet that showed the, the cheese accident model accorded for COVID. Uh -huh. and, and the whole reason I liked that one, because the, the, the cheese accident model is used for everything. Right? Yeah, yeah. But I had never, ever thought about to introduce a mouse. Yeah. And, and that was a great thing by that the, they said that this was all the fake news there is. Yeah. Uh, this was kind of the, 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 the misinformation mouse, the fake news mouse that can like eat its way through every single layer, enlarging the holes of the, of the cheese accident model. And, and I liked the whole idea of that. And that was on that paper. That was the only reason I picked it. Yeah, it's really visual, isn't it? I mean, Hugo picked a paper looking at emojis as well, the use of yeah. emojis and how you can you know, try and communicate a little bit better with different age groups who might be more used to using emojis than... Oh, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the other thing. I mean, I haven't found a paper on it yet. But if I talk to my children or I show them my slides, they, they, they get bored. I mean, I'm not, I'm not known for the most boring slides here. No, are. no, you're not. Uh, but but uh, if, if, if my kids look at my slides, they, they, they like, they're gone within a minute. Yeah. Uh, because that's, they don't like it. They want yeah. even less. They, they, you, if you have to say something about it, if you have to talk over it, it's already too much. The message must come with one picture, yeah. like on Instagram, like in their Instagram stories. Yeah. So 
Uh, yes, I, I'm probably too old to still learn it, but I'll, I will be working on that. Well, my mother's 94 yesterday, and she's managing to do it. So you know, maybe there's so a little bit of hope a for us yet. Yeah, <laughs> maybe there's a bit of a hope for us yet. Uh, so a couple of the other papers you mentioned, on calling for infection prevention and control. I mean, I, I did it, and yeah. um, and the microbiologists did on call for medical issues, but we were on call for actually infection control issues, and we found it very useful. But what happens in Oh, it's super! It's super useful. It's a must, I would say. Yeah. Uh, like in, in my own team in the university, the the infection control professionals are on call. In the general hospital I'm working at, they aren't. Right. It's not in their contract. You can get paid for, and the hospital found it so much easier to just at night call the the uh, microbiology consultant on duty. Yeah. So and then also get the infection control questions, which. Is good if I'm on duty of yeah. a colleague who's doing infection control. Do <laughs> yeah. it's not really perfect if no. one of your colleagues who who intrinsically hates infection control yeah. is on duty because he will just say don't bother me or give stupid answers. Yeah, it was a nice little paper from from Hillary Humphrey. So yes. I like Hillary because oh, he yeah. frequently has this, oh, this great ideas and knows what to address. Yeah, so it was a good paper to address a problem. Problem is it was done from his perspective, was was his being on duty and his hours. So the overall observation now is might not be enough to convince your administration to pay for the extra service, but I think it's absolutely worthwhile to do it. And, and we should use this last phase of the pandemic. Yeah, as we always say, never waste a good outbreak. So never waste a great pandemic. So, so we use this one to make sure that we get the resources to finance uh, out of our infection prevention. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned early on you did a great double app with Hugo. Did any of his papers grab you? And you think, damn, I should have had that one. No, I mean, I, I knew what he was doing. He was done way, way ahead of me. So he had all the technology. surprise. No, not, <laughs> not really, but okay. But he, he was, uh, he had all this great technology papers. And, yeah. uh, and I love technology too. So I had, it was one of the things when we talked about it, I said, I didn't. He said, oh, I already have it. So yes, uh, his technology papers were great. So I, I, I believe that from the, the artificial nose, the, the trying to detect ventilator-associated pneumonia, yeah. I mean, isn't that great? I mean, yeah. why even try, uh, try to, to, to diagnose it ourselves? Actually, actually, I believe we should do it right away because uh, the, the, the surveillance we have on VAP is one of the worst there is. Yeah. So uh, yeah. what is the real definition? Yeah, yeah. Where would you know it? So, and I don't care. What, what we should do is we, sh we should use this kind of technologies like, like the one on that mm -hmm. and then just uh, make sure that we validate it by seeing what's happening when we plan in intervisions. So yeah. in the moment we, uh, we do something to decrease or if you're stupid enough, do something to increase a ventilator associated pneumonia, then we can see if that method picks it up. So by validating it that way, uh, I think that's the way for me to go. Yeah, I mean, automated, I think, will be the future because it will it will maximize the use of your time by giving you areas where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck, if you like, and you can focus on uh, on outbreaks and that sort of thing. Uh, the, the sniffing is interesting, though, because there were a couple of papers in the year that suggested that dogs were actually very good at detecting COVID and there have been plenty in the past showing they're very good at actually detecting MRSA and they're very good at detecting urine, urinary tract infections as well. So when, they, when your dog's nose is in your groin, it's actually being an expert diagnostician rather than actually just having a sniff around those areas. But do you think that there's some future in that? Nah. nah. Well, well, I like the dogs in the hospital. I'm not quite <laughs> sure if this is the way to go. 
then the, the, the double trouble with this is that you, you need kind of one beagle for every single disease. That's true. So most of the dogs can only be trained for one pathogen. Yeah. And, uh, and that will be a lot of dogs. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I like that. Okay. This might be a few yeah. too many for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Uh, and I'll just finish with, um, you know, when I saw you the other day, I really wanted to shake your hand because it's something I've always done and we don't do that at the moment for obvious yeah. reasons. And, you know, the banning of a handshake in healthcare, I mean, you know, it's, it's a common thing to do. Do you think it's had its day now? Uh, that w I was assuming it would, mm. but I, I don't believe it. And it was nice that the Yama paper I had in the talk is... The nice thing about it, it explains you what is what is it to stand for. It's more than just say hello and goodbye. Mm. And it's certainly in healthcare, it's it's giving confidence to patients to a certain degree. Yes. So aspects like that we we tend to forget when saying, "Ah, oh, let's get rid of it." It's one moment less uh, where we do need to do hand hygiene, so it's perfect to get rid of it. I'm not quite sure. I think that a lot of patients, and I would be probably one of them outside of the COVID area, mm. where where I like a good handshake from a doctor who. Yeah especially if it's not all wet and then feels yeah. nervous, but, but then I would like it. And we'll come back. And you see that the meeting here too. Yeah. Uh, people come to you, they try to give you a hand. And, yeah, yeah. and so it, it was, I thought it was a nice paper. And, and, and it says, and they believe that they were able to, to, to change this custom. Mm -hmm. But let's wait and see. I'm, yeah. I'm not that uh, optimistic as the authors of the paper are. And uh, let's see the alternative. And the alternative still is funny. I mean, they... they there was another nice paper on the elbow, yeah. which I liked too. And uh, I, I wasn't agreeing with the conclusion that it's because people sneeze and cough into their elbow that you're transmitting microorganisms. The main thing is that just my upper arms are too short. So I will be more or less in your face when you touch with your elbow, my elbow. Yeah. And, and that's why I like the fist bump. And there was this old paper from, from 2014 in yeah. AJAC that, that showed that it's actually the best you can do with regard to transfer of in their experiments E. coli. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. You've only got to give it another, what, three years and you can rewrite that paper because all the papers come around every 10 years, as you've previously yeah, that, mentioned. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, but actually, you're right about if you were being treated yourself and a surgeon came in and walked you and shook you by the hand, that's like a nice personal touch. I mean, I'd like a nice, confident, strong handshake in my yeah. surgeon, not a very nervous, shaky one, I have yeah. to say. But I, I, I do think that that personal touch shows you that they're treating you like a, a human being and they're going to do their best for you. I don't know if that's... Yeah, if and that's it might change by generation and by person and, and it's tough to ask them. But I'm, I'm one of those. Yes, I yeah. need to, the good handshake, the, yeah. confidence the confidence of a good uh, handshake that, yeah. yes, I will cut on the right place. Uh, that that will, will help. Yes. Okay. Well, with that, we'll close. Thank you very much. We'll do a little virtual fist bump here. You're and, very welcome. Uh, yes, uh, he was shaking my hand just yeah. to be here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's really so nice to see you again. It's so nice to see anybody again, to be absolutely honest, but it's really nice to see you. And uh, thanks very much for your time, Andreas. You're welcome. <laughs>